This is a Bible teaching podcast from www.lumen.org.uk. That's L U M I N.org.uk. The presenter is Jeff Lumley. We're continuing our look at Romans chapter 1. Last time in verses 1 to 6, Paul introduced himself. He he made clear who he was, what right he had to be writing to them and in the authority uh, that he, he writes and the reason why his letter is authoritative. And now in verse 7 onwards, he comes to who he is writing to. He says, this is who this letter is for. These are the people on my heart and this is the message that I have for you. And the you is those in Rome, to all in Rome, who are loved by God and called to be saints. So he is writing to people in the capital of the empire who love God and who are loved by God. And those two things are flip sides of the same coin because, what? yes, God loves everyone, but his love is particularly on those who will receive it. Because if you do not receive the love, it bounces off you. Didn't Jesus say to his disciples, go into towns and if they welcome you, then then embrace them. But if they don't, then shake your, shake the dirt off your sandals as you leave. If they won't accept the love, they can't be loved. It's not that God does not love everyone, but you cannot love that which refuses to be loved. Love needs to be received, not just given. But more than that, they are called to be saints. And this is the word uh, used in the New International, but it's a Greek word, hagios, and it simply means called to be holy. It's the same word used to describe the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, the hagios spirit, called to be in like nature with God. These people are called to be like God, called to be set apart, called to be holy. And they've heard God's call. Now, before we go any further, it's widely believed this letter was written from Corinth in the mid-50s AD, 55, 56, 57 AD, something like that. Not much more than two decades after Jesus died on the cross. And yet now, there are believers, there is a church established in Rome. And we read in Acts of Paul going out as an evangelist and Barnabas going out as an evangelist and and Luke travelling and we read in Paul's letters of others like Apollos. There was a large amount of people going around telling the good news of Jesus and there is now a group in Rome and it's only taken 20 years and I want us to have that in mind when we read this and when we think about our world and how many of us are saying oh it's gone so far away from God it can never be changed this message went out to a world that had never been close to God it had never believed it had never heard it's gone out from Israel Israel 
is out of the picture, really. Now we're into Paul's letters. Yes, there are times when he's going to go to Jerusalem to see the believers there. But the whole of the scripture up to now has been about what happens in Israel. And now it's out of Israel. And it's to a world that did not know God at all. And yes, there will be Jews in the church in Rome, people who have gone from Israel and their work life has taken them to Rome or whatever. But if we read of all Paul's travels, he is going to non-Jews. He is the apostle to the non-Jews. And the gospel has spread. And we'll get to that again towards the end of today's reading. But it's important to remember that whatever our world is like, whatever our own society, whatever our own culture is like right now, it can be changed because the gospel can change it. Just one more thing about the people this letter is addressed to. They are the people this letter is addressed to. And what I mean by that is everything we read in Romans has to be read in the context of this is to the people in Rome who are loved by God and called to be holy. It is not addressed to people in Rome who are not called to be holy. It's not addressed to people in Rome who are not yet Christians. It's not addressed to people anywhere who are not believers. This is this letter is addressed and everything in it is for those who are set apart by God, who are called to be holy. And that's the case for all of the epistles. That's the case for all of Paul's letters. They're all addressed to believers. One of the things the church has done over the years is taken things out of these letters and thrust them at unbelievers and say, you get this right, then we'll accept you. That is not the heart of the gospel. And it's not what Paul is saying in this. He's explaining the world to believers. He is telling believers not to be like the world. But this letter is written to believers. So verse eight starts, oh sorry, verse seven finishes with grace and peace to you, the saints, the holy ones in Rome, from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace carries peace, Irene, or in the Hebrew shalom, the very nature of God, they are already called holy, now know God's grace, God's acceptance, God's love, God's total forgiveness, his unconditional forgiveness of you, and be filled with his presence which brings you the peace of being at rest with him. So in the midst of this Babylonian world to take the Daniel picture of the empire of Babylon and the fourth empire of the most savage beast is Rome and here you are right in the center of that beast's empire be at peace be filled with God and I I just heard earlier that uh, someone was talking about the COVID pandemic and Christians were as, as alarmed and nervous as the rest of the population and compared it with the 1918 pandemic of the Spanish flu. 
Significantly different, if you caught the Spanish flu, you were virtually certain to die. If you caught COVID, very few people did die, actually. 5%, maybe. Whereas with the Spanish flu, 95%. And yet, in those days, Christians went in to help, to minister, to serve, because they were at peace with God, knowing their eternal destiny was more important than their life on earth. I say that simply to describe something about what knowing the peace of God might be like. So verse 8, firstly, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. Here is this young church. We know it's young because it's definitely less than 25 years old uh, and it's probably an awful lot less than that. And yet, the news of their faith is being reported back, back to Jerusalem, back across the Mediterranean. Everywhere Paul goes, he hears, have you heard what's going on in Rome? Have you heard of the Christians in Rome? We don't know why. We don't know what that means. Were they simply being reported as courageous and faithful because many of them were going into the arena to face the lions and to be savaged by the lions and they were standing and singing hymns. We hear those stories echoing down through history from accounts outside the Bible. Why was their faith being reported all over the world? We don't know, but they were significant believers. God, whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. These were not people Paul has led to the Lord as far as we know. Certainly he's never been to Rome. He may have met some of them in Corinth or Thessalonia or even in Jerusalem, but on the whole, this is not a, a group of people that are Paul's babies, if you like. But he thanks God for them. He prays for them when he hears of them. And that is a challenge, isn't it? Do we even pray for those, do we even pray consistently every time we pray for those we know quite closely? What about those we hear of? When we hear of the exploits of Christians across the world, do we take them to heart and really give thanks and pray for them? God, whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times, and I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. Paul wants to get to Rome, and that's the way he goes is probably not the way he, he imagined. He didn't want to go as a captive, as a prisoner, but he wants to get to Rome to minister to these people. And again, we're not really clear why that was so important to him, but that was the desire of his heart. I long to see you, verse 13. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. Oh, that is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. You see, I think Paul wanted to see them because he'd heard so much about them. He knew they had something that they could give him. It wasn't just that he was going to give them. They've got something in terms of their confidence, their faith, that 
they can give him. Sorry, that was verses 11 and 12. Now it's 13. I don't want you to be unaware that I planned many times to come to you, brothers, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I've had among the other Gentiles. In other words, yeah, you're, you're a bunch of believers, but there are others around you, and I want to come and I want to back up your ministry by bringing my, uh, if you like, evangelistic gifting, my apostleship, to tell others around you in Rome of the good news and to bring more into the kingdom and more into the church. I want to give you that, but I also believe you are going to give me from your faith, from all I've heard about you, you are going to strengthen me as well. And ministry is a shared thing. Ministry is not and should never be anyone setting themselves up to be the giver, the giver, the giver, because A, they will burn out and dry up, and B, they're not all perfect. They are flawed, just like everybody else, and they need to receive from the people around them. And if you are not a leader in a church, and you are just someone, I put that in inverted commas, who attends church, part of your mission is to bless the leader and to give to the leader and to be praying for the leader and and bringing words of God to the leaders because it should be a mutual sharing. Verse 14, I am bound, both to Greeks and non-Greeks, to the wise and foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. In other words, it's just what I have to do. I have to share the gospel with the the wise in the, the philosophers of our age, but also with the people in the marketplace who haven't had a great education. I need to share the gospel at their level. I need to share the gospel at the higher level. I need to share the gospel uh, with those who have um, wisdom, with those who are foolish, with those who are of the Greek culture and those who have come in to Rome from other cultures like the Visigoths and, well, I don't suppose they had them quite called that then, but but the people from the empire's fringes, the north of the empire, even Britannia, I need to talk to the people with the gospel. And you see, the key thing about Rome is people were going to Rome from all over the empire. So if you can get the gospel shared in Rome, it is going to go back to Britannia and to Spain and to the farthest reaches of the empire. And that is what he wanted. And we'll finish with the next line. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And I'm not going to unpack that except to go back to the beginning and talk about the fact that that is what has happened in the 20 so years since Christ died. The gospel has been a power to save people across the Mediterranean area. It has spread to people who have never heard about the Lord God or who have heard about it as some sort of quirky little religion they have over there in Israel, in Judea. 
but it has transformed lives and it's transformed lives from heathen pan pan godly what's the word for multi gods all sorts of things and so when we look at our culture and when we look at our country we might say it's impossible because it's now filled with people who believe in all sorts of gods and people who believe in God in all sorts of ways but the gospel is still the power do we believe it and I was thinking um, about the the seemingly violent way Islam is pronouncing itself in our country at the moment uh, that's not to say I'm saying it is being violent necessarily but the seemingly violent way of the demanding and the shouting and so forth and the feeling that we have nothing to change them and reflecting how it must have been for Alfred and other Saxon Christians 1500 years ago when the Vikings invaded the land with their heathen religion with their physical violence their immorality and their godlessness and how they swept across the north of England and yet it was the gospel when Guthrie met Alfred and they spent some time together and Guthrie was baptized called Alfred his father became a Christian the Vikings were changed they didn't leave the land they were assimilated into the kingdom and England became something new. And the England we talk about is the England of the Saxons allied with the Vikings under Christ. Could it happen again? Paul is not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew then for the Gentile. Well, Jeff forgot the Normans didn't he? They are part of the makeup of Old England too, forged under the banner of Christ, and then with the ancient Britons, in the shape of the Scots, Welsh, Cornish and Irish, Britain also joined together under the cross of Christ, a trinity of crosses making up our national flag. Sadly, as we have moved from Christ we see the forces trying to break up that union, but I mustn't ramble on. I am just a computer-generated voice-over artist after all. Thank you for listening. Hey.